0: We're gonna take a foray into the scriptures, if you would grab your Bible and we're gonna turn to Genesis chapter twenty two. And we're talking about we're talking about the the ancient way. That's right. Somebody just say the ancient way. The ancient way. 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 Genesis chapter twenty-two is a wonderful, wonderful passage of scripture. It sets a framework of redemption and atonement and substitutionary atonement for us. It's a theologically rich piece. It's a profound, profound chapter in our salvation history, and it's very necessary for you. But it also has some wonderful application in terms of our practical everyday lives and our worship. Now, the ancient way, which we've been talking about since I returned from the Camino, uh, with this this unforgettable il- illustration of pilgrimage in my mind... Um, We've been talking about returning to an ancient way that's something we can hand on to our kids and our grandkids and not, not, uh, uh, not losing our path, knowing which way points to Jesus, which way is eventually going to get us to the throne room of, of, of heaven. And, uh, and so we've kind of retraced our steps, gone back, and started looking at some of the ways in which we need to focus uh, our... Um, our directions and uh, and the one topic we started a couple of weeks ago the, the the idea of worship, the way of worship, and what does that really look like? How do we teach our kids to worship the Lord with a pure heart with clean hands? How do we, how do we approach god and, uh, and there's an ancient way there, there are lots of newfangled ideas there are lots of uh, nuances of, of our culture uh, which we may try to use to sort of reshape and retool. Uh, the way we do church, the way we do relationship with God, but actually there's an ancient way which has always been the right way and uh, we're returning to that to try and retrace our steps. Let's find the milestones and Abraham in this story is going to uh, be obedient to God and I think the, uh, the lesson of Abraham's obedience is perhaps one of the most important lessons of worship that we could ever learn or teach. Worship is not true worship unless it involves obedience and um and this is a very simple thought and that's going to be the thought you go home with today all right obedience worship equals obedience obedience equals worship and um and without obedience worship is just it's just hot air and worship is not me and stephanie and, you know, Emilio and these worship leaders on guitars and, and musical instruments, that's not worship, that's music, that's singing, that's giving glory to God in one medium of worship. But worship is a much broader thing than that. Worship is a, an overarching attitude, it's a, it's, it's a giving of first place to Christ. Um, I see Patrick and Rachel sitting back there, and Patrick years ago helped me design and build these little um, these little cards, and then and then we had we had bracelets made with uh, bought with a price on there. And, and remember that Pat, and um, that's uh, I still have one of those in my drawer somewhere. Back in the day, you remember the WWJD bracelets? Well, we made bracelets for the whole church and it said BWAP, Bwap, <laughs> bought with a price, and because uh, we are not our own, we're bought with a price. We belong to God and worship. Um, it was about uh, belonging. It was about belonging to Him. And, um, and I'm, I'm super excited to say after all these years, we're still preaching the same message. <laughs> Things haven't changed around here. The message remains the same. You know why? It's the ancient way. That's right. Still pointing the way. Billboards, neon lights, little yellow arrows. We're still pointing the way to Jesus. And um, Genesis chapter 22 tells us this, this story. Uh, of Abraham and his son Isaac. Let's read it together. Here it is. After these things, God tested Abraham. Tested. God tested Abraham. Wait a second. God did what? Tested. tested. God tested Abraham. How many of you have been tested by God? Anybody? Recently? Been tested by God recently? This is quite a big test right here. God tested Abraham. Does testing fit with your theology? Yes. Does the test of God in your life fit with your theology? Theoretically, yes. Practically, we hate that. I hate being tested. Nobody likes taking tests. I love passing a test. I love doing more than passing a test. I love to ace a test, yeah? But I hate the test. I don't like the test. I don't want to take the test. I just want to pass it. I want to get through it. I want to be done with that. I want to get the credit for it afterwards and be done. Testing. James talks about the testing of our faith, doesn't he? Produces patience, right? God tests us in our faith. It's a very important part of our worship is to recognize that when we come to God and say, God, I give you my all, I give you everything, you are my king, the Lord says, okay. Let's put that to the test. And the reason why he does that is not because he doesn't love us. It's not even because he doesn't believe us. But God wants us to believe our own words. When we say that God is our God, he's our king, God wants to say, God says, okay, I I know you're saying that right now, but your heart needs to be convinced of that. And so in order for that to happen, we're going to have to test every one of the imposters that try to take the place of worship in your heart. Every one of them. Now, I don't know how many of you have received a gift before, but gifts are beautiful things. Gifts are wonderful. I like gifts. Unless, it's, unless the gift is, you know I don't know, um, something that equals work, <laughs> more work. Um, somebody gives you something, and you've got to put it together and build it, and it's like, oh, great, that's awesome. This is really a gift for them. Uh, but gifts are a beautiful thing, and God's given each one of us gifts, and some of our gifts are sort of natural giftings. Some of you are just really good at business. Some of you are excellent with numbers and figures, and you can, you know, you can be an accountant, and, uh, and that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, not everybody loves that. Thank God that you do, right? And some of you are just really good at hospitality. Some of you are amazing with art and, uh, and creativity, and uh, uh, some of you are ter- terrific uh, electricians uh, or plumbers or, uh, you know, or uh, tradesmen of some sort carpenters stained glass all that sort of thing you've got a gift and that gift has been given to you and every good and perfect gift comes from comes from the lord it comes from the father above the father of light in whom of course there's no shadow of turning so he gives gifts and he gives gifts for your pleasure for his pleasure for your benefit for his kingdom but he gives these gifts and then when we have the gift we get tested we get tested God gave Abraham a gift. The gift first came in the form of a promise. And the promise was that he would have children. He'd have so many children, you couldn't count them all. He'd have so many children, they'd be like the stars in the heavens, the sand of the seashore. That's the promise that God made to Abraham. God's fulfillment of that promise was a little slow, slow coming, wasn't it? 25 years and then when the promise eventually came, after a few, little, uh, a few little ups and downs, when the promise finally came, God tested the gift that he'd given. Because the gift that Abraham had received had in itself latent the power to become Abraham's God. The gift had the power to become Abraham's God. And Abraham, having received the gift, which was given by God, could very easily have begun to worship, put his whole life and his attention and focus on this gift, which he had waited so long to receive. What gift is there that you have received, that you've waited so long to receive, and finally is here? Is it retirement? Is that the gift you've been waiting for so long for? God bless you now. Your 401k is like, wow, man, you did great. Maybe not. But anyway, (laughs) life is good. You've got some stuff sent away when, you know, you're well prepared. The kids didn't even go to college. All that college fund, you can stash it away, buy yourself a new car. It's great. Yeah. What is the gift that you have waited so long to receive that is now here? It has the potential to become your God. That baby in your arms, young mom, has the potential to become your God. That son, dad, that you're raising up to become great sports star, or whatever it is that's your dream. That kid has the power to become your God. But the But the gift that you have doesn't have the power to stay, you God, and it will not fulfill what your heart needs. And God, in giving you that gift, gives you something that's potentially very, very dangerous for you. Then he tests you to see what your heart is going to do. God tested Abraham, said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am, here I am. As we talk about worship in the ancient way, I think one of the things you can teach your kids and your grandkids is to always say to the Lord, here I am. Here I am. I think it's, it's a scary thing, uh, but it is a very important thing. Do you remember back in the garden that uh, God walked in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve? you remember there was a time when Adam and Eve had sinned and they had uh, taken of the fruit that they weren't supposed to take? That God had very specifically said, do not, because in the day that you do, you'll truly die. You remember what happened afterwards? God came looking for them. He walks in the garden and he calls out to them, where are you? Did they say, here I am? No, no they didn't. Because worship, you see, requires obedience. And they had disobeyed. One of the greatest gifts that God ever gave us in Christ Jesus was the ability to say, here I am. Here I am. Here I am, Lord. He gave it to us in Christ because Christ is the one who takes away our sin. Christ is the one who covers our nakedness, as it were. We don't need fig leaves anymore. Christ is the one who comes and gives us the ability to stand before God at any moment of our lives and answer His call and say, Here I am. It's important that we teach our kids to be ready to say to God, Here I am. And God does call. Here I am. He said, Take your son. Uh, in the Hebrew language, when something is repeated, it means it comes with emphasis. When it's repeated three times, it becomes highest priority. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Four definitions of who he's supposed to take. Take your son, your only son. That's interesting. Was he his only son? You guys know the story, right? There was an Ishmael. Wasn't there an Ishmael? Your only son. Isn't that fascinating? Take your son, your only son. Why? Why would Isaac be the only son? I mean, God did carry on and clarify and define, but... Because he's the promise. That's right, Dan. Because there was one son who was the promise. You know, we all have things that we love in life, but there are certain things that we love more than others. Because that is the thing, you know? It's the one, it's the... it's easy for us to give up things that we are not all that committed to. And if God comes to you and tests you by saying, hey, would you give up such and such over there? You're like, you look at it and say, oh, yeah, no, no problem. I mean, if somebody came to me and said, Eric, would you give up your books in your library? Okay. I mean, I might be hard pressed, but I probably would eventually say, sure, I can give that up. I don't have space for that anymore. I'll give that up. You know Why? I got them all on here (laughs) it's much it's, it's, it's it's much easier to carry my whole library in my pocket I don't need shelves and so forth so I could give up my books that's not a problem if God says I'd really love you to give that up for me I could say I give that up and then later I could brag about what I've given up I gave up all my books for the Lord right maybe you can think of something that you could easily give up for the Lord Lord, I'll give up those extra I'll give up those extra hours of hard work on the side, doing the side jobs. I'll give that up for you, Jesus. Well, that's not much of a sacrifice then, is it? Because actually you're quite happy to give it up. But God tests us where we need our testing. The thing that you love and, and cherish more than anything. I just want you to know, I don't believe that you're exempt from this testing. I think God tests everyone who loves him and everyone who worships him. And that's why the ancient way teaches us this. Abraham becomes, as it were, the, 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 the leader in this. He he's the point of our spear. He shows us and ultimately where he goes, we have to go. We have to go. If we don't go there, I don't believe we'll encounter the same God that Abraham encounters. Not in the same way. We might end up with our own God of our own making. So what is it that you love so, so much? That's the one thing. Your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, wow. Now, of course, as we listen to that language, you you, you can't help but hear the language at the waters of baptism, right? It's somewhere at the Jordan River and John the Baptist is baptizing, and here comes Jesus, and John says, oh, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and Jesus comes to be baptized, and John says, oh, no. No, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. And Jesus says, do this that we may fulfill all prophecy. And John baptizes him. And as he comes up out of the water, the heavens part, the dove comes down, the Holy Spirit in the the form of a dove rests upon him and stays with him. And the voice thunders from the heavens. This is my son, my only son, whom I love. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and so you can't help but see the echo of this. And God is never going to ask you to do something that he actually wasn't prepared to do himself. So for us to say, you know, we worship God, the best form of worship is actually to mimic, isn't it? You want to be like him? Well, then you've got to be able to say, I take that which is most precious to me. And I'm willing to surrender that. For this relationship, Because this relationship is so precious to me that all other things are subjected. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a, wait for it, burnt offering. A burnt offering. Now, I know this is 4,000 years ago, so we can happily... Hide behind those four thousand years and say, oh, "Thank God we don't do this anymore." <laughs> um, I went to a pig roast earlier in the summer, and uh, that pig was charred, man. It was delicious, but it was, you know, it was over a fire and whatever. And I just couldn't help but think about how macabre that is. You know, it's just take your son as a burnt offering. Sorry for those of you who are a little squeamish. But that is not pretty, and it's not pleasant, and it certainly isn't legal. I was reading in Jeremiah, chapter 16, I think it is, and uh, I was was astonished by these words. Um, I believe it's Jeremiah 16, and um, maybe it's Jeremiah 15. Well, anyway, the Lord says of the um, of the people. Uh, the, oh, it's Jeremiah nineteen. He says this because the people have forsaken me, have profaned this place by making offerings in it to other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers. Uh, nor the kings of Judah have known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of innocents, and have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it even come into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. Anyway, he goes on, but God says, i never even entered into my mind that people should burn their sons as a burnt offering. I found that a little hard to believe, actually, when I was reading in Jeremiah, because I feel like that was God's idea in the beginning, here with Abraham, I'm like, Lord, have you forgotten what you did here? Um, well, we've got to read to the end of the story to find out why God can say categorically in Jeremiah, it never actually entered my mind that your sons should be burned as burnt offerings, uh, because although he calls Abraham, you know, we have the condensed version here. Obviously, this took many days for Abraham to be obedient and to do this, but... We know of course, spoiler alert, Isaac does not get burned and God never intended Isaac to be burned. So, it's, so when God says in Jeremiah, I never even thought of such a thing, He can honestly say that. Anyway, I'm, here I am being an advocate on God's behalf as if God stands to be judged. <laughs> Sometimes it's important for us to note these, these discrepancies in the Scripture because your kids are going to find them, by the way. And when they find them, they're going to say, I dismiss this nonsense. This is all rubbish. And it's not rubbish. There's an adequate answer for everything that appears to be a discrepancy in the Scripture. Adequate answer. And, and we ought to be so well-versed in the Scripture that we know how to answer those questions when they come up. Okay, Just a little piece there for you. So please, read the Bible. Okay, Read it through once a year, every year for the rest of your life. Do it. Seriously, anyway, offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, again, we've got some foreshadowing here. You know this story. You know that the same Mount Moriah is the Mount Moriah upon which uh, the angel is, uh, is the angel of death, as it were, is stopped when that plague breaks out because David calls for a census. Remember that, and uh, and eventually they buy that piece of land and they build the temple of Solomon on that piece of land. Right, you remember that same place where Abraham offered Isaac. Of course, you know that there's even more significance because Mount Moriah is actually, well, Gol- Golgotha is located on Mount Moriah, and so Jesus is crucified outside the city but on Mount Moriah. And, uh, and so this, you can see the foreshadowing here of everything God's going to do for us, the substitutionary atonement for us. But the test that Abraham's going through right now, he doesn't, he's not aware of Christ who is to come. And so while I don't want you to be unaware of Christ and how Christ fulfills this in the most astonishing way and becomes the lamb that God prepares for his own sacrifice, at the same time I want you to see the lesson which Abraham is learning in this which becomes the pointer, the root marker that says this is is the right way, this is the ancient way of worship. Okay, and the ancient way of worship is not sacrificing your son, but the ancient way of, wor- of worship is the testing of every gift that God has, been, has, has given to you, that you've waited so long, even patiently trusting in the Lord to receive. The testing of that is part of your reasonable worship. Understand? Okay, so Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Again, a little foreshadowing. Third day. Why the third day? Well, because the third day is always important in Scripture, isn't it? And we know that on the third day, Christ is going to be raised from the dead. And so these little foreshadowings are constantly through these stories. Beautiful. It's why it's so important for you to know the story. But... Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Some of you guys have been around church long enough to recognize the words of faith in that statement. I will go with the boy to worship and we will return to you. There's a statement of faith, we will return. Abraham knows he's going to obey God and yet he knows somehow that God is able to raise up even from the ashes this son of promise because God is always true to his promise. So there's this level of faith in the obedience which defies understanding, okay? But after all, the gift that came to Abraham defied understanding in the first place. Abraham's 100 years old. His wife is 90. How can they have a child? She's way past childbearing age. How can she nurse a child? And yet God has given them this promise. And, uh, and so Abraham already knows that God is able to do more. A couple of weeks ago, I told you we need to be people who believe that God is able to do more than we could ask or imagine, right? Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So this this, this anticipation in faith, in our worship, that God always delivers, even if the deliverance looks different from what we think. Peter is later going to exercise this kind of faith in prison. Paul and Silas are going to exercise this faith in prison. Ultimately, Peter and Paul are going to be martyred for their faith, but at a time when the Lord has made it clear to them, now is the time I'm bringing you home. But until such a time, they knew that God was true to His promise, and they were therefore able to walk through the darkness of whatever evil was happening around them with total and utter confidence. And that confidence is the kind of confidence that you and I are designed to carry. You and I are built by God to walk in that level of confidence, but it doesn't come without true obedient faith. We're designed to be able to walk literally through the walls. Did I say literally? I mean figuratively. (laughs) We can walk through walls every day. We just put a door and then you walk through the door, right? (laughs) Figuratively, we've been made to walk through the walls that the society sets up around us, that our, that, that our unbelieving world around us sets up, up around us, what, 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 the, what the devil might throw at us, what circumstance might throw at us. We are designed by God to be able to walk right through it if we walk in obedience like Abraham. You know that when God gives a gift... It's not because you earned it or you deserve it, but because God promised it and God always fulfills his promise. So when God gives this to you, do you not think that God is able to sustain it also? The word of the Lord uh, through Jason this morning was uh, to the guy in the purple shirt that uh, God's going to provide. Well, I happen to be wearing a sort of purple shirt, and I'm going to claim that one for me too. So for the, all of us in wearing purple in the room, like, yes, let's do that. Let's hold on to that. And if your shirt isn't purple, maybe, you know, maybe it can be purple. I don't know. Maybe you can identify as purple today. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, that's, I'm sorry. That was, that was cheap and weak. I'm sorry. <laughs> anyway, for whatever it's worth, the purple shirt, God is able to provide. Why? God is willing to provide. Why? God is going to provide. Why? Because he said it. Now, I know Jason was not, uh, he is not one of the apostles, he's not one of those who wrote scripture, but, but Jason is inspired in that moment by the Holy Spirit and taking a step of faith, believes that the Holy Spirit is prompting him to say something, and as he enters into that place of faith and trust, he speaks the word of the Lord as much, with as much boldness and confidence as I stand in the pulpit right now speaking the word of the Lord to you same thoughts you know the holy spirit puts a thought in my head think about it a little while and then i speak to you about it that same confidence is what he was exercising saying i believe the lord is saying this is what i want to do for you well i think that god loves that kind of faith i think that god loves that kind of faith i hold on to that lightly because i know that we can hear god uh, sometimes crystal clear and sometimes it's like a radio that's just not tuned in it's just you know and we can't get that radio tuned in but I want to trust God when it comes to things that he's promised, that he's able to do more than we ask or imagine. Because I want to walk with the kind of obedience and confidence that Abraham steps out in in this verse. We will return. We will return to you. Okay, so moving on. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. Again, a foreshadowing, isn't that? The sun carries the wood for the sacrifice. You can just see the Via Dolorosa, can't you? And he took in his hand the fire and the knife, and they went both of them together. Now, we could try and break this down into all kinds of things and see them, you know, just tease everything out of this uh, knife, fire, what do these represent? But honestly, they represent the tools of sacrifice. And uh, they're really all that he took with him, the wood, the fire, the knife to do the killing, whatever he needed to bind his son and to sacrifice of his son. There's a stripping away when we come in obedience to the Lord. No other vehicles are necessary. They become distractions when it comes to giving the Lord that which he is requiring of us. It is best not to take too much along. It's best to simply give what God has said we are to give. Sometimes God's asked me to do things. And I try to finagle ways to make it less painful. (laughs) I think about men of old. Was it... uh, Who was it? Uh, Was it Elisha? When Elijah called him and said, you know, put his mantle on him, come follow me. And Elijah said, let me me go home and take care of business. Let me take care of my dad and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And Elijah turned to him and said, what what have I got to do with you? You do whatever you're going to do. There's a choice that has to be made. When they were called to follow Jesus from their boats, They left their nets, they left their father, they got up and they they followed him. And there was a testing right there that required an obedience that was an immediate obedience, that wasn't an obedience that was well finessed to make things less painful. It was a yes, sir, and they followed. I think we need to teach our children this kind of obedience. Obedience first to their parents, because if they can't obey their parents in this level, how are they ever going to obey God on this level? You know, when it comes to obedience required of our children, I think we've got to be really super careful not to make it easy for them to be distracted by all the things that make it that make it less painful to be obedient. We offer, uh, I don't know, alternative ways that they can be obedient. We offer chances that they well, you know, if I have to say this again, you know, then um, I'm going to take something away from you. Uh, And then uh, if I have to say it again, then I'll take something else away from you. Listen, we are, we're all like sheep. We all do the same thing. Every parent in the room knows what it feels like to have to discipline their child. And none of us like that. We just don't like disciplining our children. It's It's a painful thing to discipline a child. Why? Because... It's, it's, it's more than just inconvenience. You love that kid and you want that kid to be happy and you hate it when they're sad and you don't want to see them pouting or miserable or whatever. And, and you, Sometimes it's, it's, just, it's just easier to let it go, let it slide. But if we do that, how will they ever learn the ancient way? Which is when God requires of you something, you don't make excuses, you just say, yes, sir. I had a conversation with a friend last week about. And this friend was asking me about tithing, and uh, if you, if you're in the room, friend, don't worry, I won't reveal any of his secrets. But this friend was asking me about tithing, and they have a business, and the business was struggling and trying to figure out what to do. And I was quick to uh, to say, "Hey, listen, when it, you know the Lord knows exactly where you're at. He knows your heart, and it's important that you pay your employees. And uh, it will dishonor the Lord if you don't pay your employees on time. Pay them first, and you know, so forth. But then." When I went home and I thought about it, I thought about the, the way in which, we make, in which we, make, uh, we make considerations for ourselves so that the obedience to the Lord is not as painful. When we have pressure on us, it's actually amazing how well we perform. What do they say? Necessity is the mother of invention. If we set apart unto God that which is God's first before everything else, it is most assuredly true that we will find what we need to pay our employees. We might not get paid ourselves, but we will pay and we will take care of the priorities in order if we set the first priority in its correct place. And then the second priority in its correct place. And the third priority in its correct place. So I retract my statement with regard to tithing. Tithing is a beautiful gift, actually, from God. It's a way for us to give to Him from the first fruits of our increase. And it is not uh, an obligation as such, but it is an invitation from God for us to live in faith. And it has been greatly abused, tithing and the manipulation of tithing has been greatly abused in many a religious structure from the first religious structure in church until now. And it will continue, no doubt, because, because uh, unscrupulous men and women will take advantage of the, of the instruction of the Lord in order to gain for themselves. But that is not pure worship. And that shameful behavior will receive its true recompense from the Lord in due time. But let not the failure of others remove from us the beautiful gift that God has given with regard to prioritizing what comes first in our lives. And so therefore, I encourage you as people of faith to exercise the kind of faith that Abraham exercised. And don't, don't carry along too many priorities. Make the first priority the first priority and just do it that way. And as we do, watch and see that God doesn't come through for us. I mean, after all, we're looking for supernatural breakthrough, aren't we? If we carry on doing it in our own strength, then we can just expect to have our own our own outcomes. For us, one plus one equals two and will always equal two. But for God, one person plus one God equals infinity. Just saying. Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, and he said, here I am, my son. I'd like to suggest that we need to be able to teach our children to say to the heavenly, uh, to be able to say to the heavenly father when he calls, here I am, just like Abraham did. God says, where are you? Abraham says, here I am. We also need to be able to say to our kids, here I am, when our children start to ask us. Now, Abraham's asking of his son to follow in the footsteps of faith, which he has followed in up until now. He has obeyed God. He left Ur of the Chaldees and he went through Haran and he came to Canaan and he went through Canaan land down to Egypt and returned to Canaan land again. He's done all this wandering because God called him in the wandering, right? So he's asking his son to do the same thing. We already know from last week's sermon that Abraham has been called by God to raise his family to honor the Lord. That's his calling. And that is true worship, to raise our families in such a way that they honor the Lord. Well, as it turns out, if we are not available to our children when they have questions, if we only have the kind of faith that says, do what I do, do what I say, don't ask any questions, then our children will not voluntarily follow the Lord because of our lead. They will not. I think there are myriad examples of this in the world around us, in the Christian world around us. We need to be able to say, as Abraham did to his son, here I am. Abraham said to God, here I am. Abraham also said to his son, here I am. How much have we withheld from our children? Because we would not say, here I am. He's about to say to his son, buddy, get ready. I'm going to tie you up, put you up on that altar. and I'm going to slit your throat and I'm going to burn you unto God. But God can raise you from the ashes. That's not cool for any kid. I'm just saying, I can't imagine that there's going to be a kid who's going to say, sure, let's do that, dad. And yet, Isaac actually ends up on that altar, bound while Abraham has the knife in his hand. How does it work that the son is willing to make the same sacrifice? No, a greater sacrifice even than his father. How do we raise our children to be more faithful to God than we are? How do we raise our children to love Jesus with a kind of passionate obedience that goes further than we ever did? How do we raise our children to be the ones who carry the wood on their own back and are willing for themselves to be on the altar? I think it starts in some part with our willingness to say, son, here I am. Be there for your kids. That's why Monday night family altar is so important. That's why it's more important than Sunday morning. Because you're there with your kids. Those of you who don't have kids, find someone with kids. (laughs) 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 Offer somebody a date night (laughs) and look after the kids. Well, that's not, well, anyway, whatever. Figure it out. I'm sure there's creative ways. Invite yourself to someone's house. Say, hey, I'm coming, by the way, and we're going to have family altar, okay? Right? (laughs) Engage the younger generation and explain the principles of faith. Listen to what Abraham says. Here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? It's a pretty legit question, isn't it? (laughs) And he said, Abraham said, God will provide. For himself, the lamb, for a burnt offering, my son. We have the brief little snippet there. But don't think that Abraham's lying to his kid and not telling him the whole truth. That's not what's happening there. Because when Isaac goes up on that altar, when Abraham lays him on the altar, he's bound and he's willing to... Which means somehow in all of this, Abraham transmitted to Isaac the kind of faith that it takes to say, All right, Lord, I lay my life on the altar here. I don't have time to finish this. My time's up. And uh, Greg has won. Again. Always. Always. I don't have time to continue. But I want you to notice one verse, verse 14. After the angel stops Abraham and there's a ram caught in the thicket and Abraham takes the ram sacrifices because God did provide and of course you guys know the story, provided a ram, not a lamb because the lamb would come later. The ram that was caught in the thicket was just a foreshadowing of the lamb who would take away the sins of the world. But Abraham makes this statement, Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. And as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. I believe that worship needs to be transmitted to our kids. We need to teach them what true worship looks like. It doesn't look like singing on a Sunday morning. though that's part of it because the communion of the saints is precious and the singing unto the Lord, he's worthy of it. And the using of our breath to focus our breath into voice that becomes words that we sing. That's beautiful. It's a beautiful gift to God, but it is not what worship is. All in and of itself, you need to teach your kids what worship is. And worship is obedience. Worship is saying yes to the test. Worship is saying, God, I will take what you have given me and give it back to you. And God invariably says, thank you. Now let me take what I have given to you and that you have returned to me. Let me give it back to you. Only this time it is good. The potential for this to become your God has been removed. And now you have your priorities in the right place. Think about it in terms of your life. Think about it in terms of your business. Think about it in terms of your family. Think about it even in terms of raising your kids homeschooling or maybe putting them in Christian school because you're afraid that if they go to public school it's going to be a big mess and so forth. I tell you this. Public school, Christian school, homeschool, any one of them can be absolutely catastrophic for your family and any one of them can be a blessing from God for your family what matters is that there's a here I am between you and God and between you and your kids And if you have that here I am and you have that opportunity to be able to speak into their lives and you're willing to show them that you'll make sacrifices to put God in the place of first priority and nothing else, then I tell you, you will not only be protected by God, but in the mount of the Lord, the place where sacrifice is required, it shall be provided for you. God will provide for you. So my beloved friends, before you freak out, about what's going to happen when you give your offering to the Lord. Remember this. God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man sows, that also shall he reap. So be careful what it is you're sowing. If you sow fear, you will reap fear. I challenge you today when you give to God He will give it back to you. Good measure. pressed down. Shaken together. Running over. That's what God gives. No small measures. Heavenly Father we thank you for your word. We thank you Lord for the ancient way. We thank you Lord that you are challenging us and always inviting us deeper. We thank you Lord that this is not a Scary thing, although it is terrifying, it is a wonderful, exhilarating thing because your gifts, O Lord, are beyond our wildest expectation. Jesus, we come to offer you our lives. We don't know what that means. Teach us, show us. Lord, let us be willing to carry the knife and the fire. Let us be willing to climb the mountain of the Lord. Let us be willing there to offer the very gifts you gave us, for they are yours and not ours. Unto you be the glory, majesty, authority, power, wisdom, riches, might. Unto you, O Lord, be all the praise. In Jesus' name.